man once said, every journey begins with the first step. Come with me, my friends, as together we travel down the roadway of geekdom in our never-ending quest to find the joy and fun in what we love. However, our final destination may not be where we intended, for on this journey, tangents abound. Hello, boys and ghouls. It's your old pal Crypt Keeper here, and welcome to Tangents from the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> um, Crypt Crypt Keeper. It's it's nice that you stop by and visit, but the name of the show is Tangents Abound, and you know my name's Aaron Henley, the host. <laughs> uh, why did you stop by? Well, Aaron, I heard that you were looking for a special guest for a special episode, and I was available. <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, Crypt Keeper, Crypty, uh, <laughs> I already had a couple special guests lined up. Uh, you see, I had Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner signed up, and uh, then you kind of uh, tied them up and threw them in a trunk. Yes, wasn't that fun? Oh, it was so enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, there, there was just one problem with that. Uh, the trunk you threw them in was really only built for, like, at most one person. And uh, by the time they get out... They're either going to be a human centipede or engaged, one or the other. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to explain that to their wives. Well, it's not my fault if they haven't lost a few pounds. It would do them a world of good. I notice you could probably use a dime in that trunk as well. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever you want, Mister Keeper. You, you, you're. Uh, what, what, what would you like us to, to to talk about? Well, since you weren't going to talk about anything important, uh, yeah, just you know the three-hour television edit of Superman the movie. But uh, anyhow, what, what did you want to talk about, Crypt Keeper? <laughs> well, I was perusing my Netflix and I saw something I thought you would enjoy talking about on this evening. <laughs> uh, what? Well, it's a... I'll give you a hint. Yes, I love playing games. Oh, I'm such a fun guy, you know. So let's, uh... I'll give you a hint. It's... It involves vampires. Vampires? On Netflix? Oh, please, please, no. Don't let it be Twilight. Please, not Twilight. <laughs> oh, heavens, no. I may be evil, but I'm not sadistic. <laughs> oh, oh, that reminds me. I really need to go pay Stephanie Meyer a visit. 
Oh, yes. Oh, no. Okay, here's another hint. It's animated. Oh. Well, let's... Well, it's not our... It's not Helsing. Oh, but it'd be so awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know, but that's for another time. Do you think you'll be covering Helsing Abridged? Uh, possibly? Oh, I love his version. It's so much fun. Oh, I love Anthony Anderson and the, uh... Police girl with the big oh uh, cryptkeeper cryptkeeper it's a it's a family show we we can't finish that quote assets yeah we'll go with that anyhow plus don't you dare say the famous line okay it's on a t-shirt but I can't say it it's a family show and even for you cryptkeeper I won't do it ah pooey you and your family friendly rating can really Ah, drive a man to death. Well, I'm death anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, if it's not that. Oh, no, please. Not that Vampire Knight, which obviously is just a blatant anime cash grab for Twilight. Please, no. Oh, don't push your luck, kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> No! One more guess. It's based off a video game. Video game? Wait, you, you don't mean that Castlevania anime, do you? Oh, come on, Crypt Keeper. You know, anything that's translated in, from a video game into a film or an animated series always sucks. I thought you said you weren't sadistic. Have you heard of Uwe Boll? <laughs> yes. Guy makes Satan look pleasant. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I've heard of Uable. I need to find him before I find Stephanie Meyer. That man that's done to cinema. What? Oh, uh, anyhow. New. No, I think you need a lesson. So, uh, okay, why did my chair suddenly sprout all these straps and I, I can't move? I, oh, oh crap. You're, you're going to robot chicken me, aren't you? Yes! Enjoy! Two hours later. Now, what do you think? Wow, that was awesome. Okay, yeah, Crypt Keeper, I may have uh, doubted you, I apologize, but yes, well, let's get into Castlevania. Ah, I knew you would see things my way. Toodaloo! Uh, Crypt Keeper, aren't you going to let them out of the trunk before you take it? No, I have plans for a sitcom. <laughs> Good luck. Okay. Well, Harley, you heard the master of storytelling. Cue the music.
Okay, my friends. So, before we get into the series proper, I thought I'd just give a little bit of background on Castlevania as a whole for those of you who are unfamiliar with it. Castlevania originally started out as a Nintendo game way back in the mid-80s. Actually, right about the time I was born. It, the first game came in 1986 by a company called Konami. And it was one of the very hardest games on the Nintendo, but also one of the most gothic. <laughs> the, seriously, the, this this thing could give Batman lessons. <clears throat> Anyhow, the story had heroic vampire hunter Simon Belmont, no relation to Buffy, though that probably could have been a cool Easter egg if, you know, they had opened up the uh, book of the vampire hunters and you just saw Belmont. <laughs> but anyhow, <clears throat> so Simon Belmont is a world-class vampire hunter. His whole family has been built to do one thing, kill vampires. And he travels to Dracula's castle, the aforementioned Castlevania, which would later just become pretty much Dracula's castle, and fight his way through said castle, killing monsters, ghouls, and demons, and pretty much the entire Universal Monster uh, catalog with his trademark whip and assorted weapons. Now, Castlevania was fun. It was hard. Um, it was one of these games that you could explore pretty much any room you wanted. And there were secrets hidden all over the place. If you hit a wall for some reason, out comes a chicken. That was your health. So it was, it was what, it's the same kind of gameplay as Metroid. In fact, as the years and multiple sequels went on, Metroid and Castlevania started, well, pretty much creating their own sub-genre. The Nintendo had, the original Nintendo system had three main games. It had Castlevania, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, and Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, which we'll talk more about in just a minute. Now, those were all really awesome games. Now, and the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis had a few games, um, Genesis had Castlevania Bloodlines, and I know this because it's the only Castlevania game I've played. In fact, I uh, <laughs> it was the only video game I was banned from playing after my parents saw the uh, some of the imagery. Yeah, and then there was for Super Nintendo, Super Castlevania Four, and Castlevania Dracula X. Yeah, those were fun, hard to find. And also uh, really inspired why we have an ESRB rating. But then came the PlayStation 1 era. And the game which became the benchmark and pretty much set the formula, for better or for worse, as to what makes a Castlevania game Castlevania, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It was a game where you played... Dracula's son, Alucard, and pretty much went nuts. This game was huge. You went to every room. There were 
rooms upon rooms, secrets upon secrets, and then just to make things even more interesting, the entire game world would flip upside down and you have a whole other game to beat. So, that became the end-all be-all of Castlevania. Every game since has tried to emulate the formula, and some have tried to branch out into other modes and have failed miserably. See all Castlevanias for the Nintendo 64. <clears throat> now, I'm not a huge fan of Castlevania. I mean, I, I enjoy the story. I kind of know some of the things, you know, like the Belmonts, and, uh, but I don't know much about the deep lore. Thank you, Wikipedia, though, for filling that in. Um, one of the biggest surprises for me, though, was the announcement of a Castlevania television series. Now, this had a rather interesting development history. For in March 2007, Frederator Studios, probably best known for shows such as The Fairly Odd Parents, um, Danny Phantom, that one secret agent dog show I can't remember the name of, acquired the rights to produce an animated film adaptation of Castlevania III, intended as a direct-to-video production, so it'd pretty much be a come and go. Now, they did have some talent attached to this. Warren Ellis, comic book legend, was brought in to write it, and it was going to be uh, animated by both Frederator Studios and um, Powerhouse Animation Studios. Now, as the project kind of languished in development, what, what's I'm just going to say it, it's called development hell. Um, things came and went, the scripts was changed, but the downside is... <laughs> Things wanted to go graphic, but to be a, you know, something to appeal to a mass market, they wanted to, they had to tone it down. And that wasn't sitting too well with Mr. Ellis. However, um, around 2012, Adi Shankar, the executive producer of Dread, you know, the only re good Judge Dread live action project, uh, got involved and... Then another um, another great little thing was they were able to negotiate a deal with Netflix for the production. So with Netflix footing the bill and the series being animated the way they wanted to, being animated by proper animation studios, Warren Ellis being able to write what he wanted, they were able to make the Castlevania they wanted. Now. The first season of the show consisted of four 30-minute episodes, which were released on July of 27, July 7, 2017. So this is really only a two-hour uh, story. And really, this first season suffers more from the uh, what, what I'll call the... It's obvious this was a direct-to-video. They just stretched it out a little bit because the whole story is pretty much the getting the band together. There's no final climax between um, the, the crew of 
Trevor Belmont, who's um, we'll get into we'll get into all the characters' backstories in just a second. Of Trevor Belmont, uh, Alucard, pay attention to that, and um, what is her name? Silpha Benaz, aka the Mage. <laughs> so, really. There's not a lot um, of, you know, if you're expecting Trevor Belmont to go fight in Dracula or Alucard to whip whip out his sword and just go crazy on his dad, no, none of that happens. Um, that said, this show broke the video game curse. As we mentioned Video games translated into live action or any kind of media form have failed miserably. You can say, well, this was good, but no. Well, we all know 99.9% .9 of adaptations have been okay at best. Say what you will about Tomb Raider, but come on, we all know the only reason we enjoyed that movie was we got to see Angelina Jolie in skin-tight leather. Come on, let's admit it. Um... And then we got into the infamous Uwe Boll, who pretty much, yeah, less said about him, the better. And there have been some theat other theatrical video games that were tried, like the Final Fantasy movie The Spirits Within that came out in 2001 with a, a very Ben Affleck character being voiced by Alec Baldwin. But, uh, yeah, we all know that how that went because, you know, when you have an audience in 2001, fresh off the Final Fantasy VII, eight and nine crowd, and you make a feature film called Final Fantasy, and there is absolutely nothing in there that remotely resembles it whatsoever, you're going to have some angry fans. And they did. But we're not a Final Fantasy podcast. We are talking about the Castlevania anime. Now, this show covers some pretty good themes as to faith and love and doubt and um, self-redemption. It's pretty deep for what I expected to be just a pretty much kick-butt show, you know? <laughs> I expected, okay, Trevor Bonamont shows up, throws his whip, slashes a few gargoyles and Medusa heads, uh, Sylphie comes up, burns a few things, Alucard does his Alucard thing, and all the fangirls swoon at his abs. So, I'm happy to say I'm wrong. Because, for the first time ever, this really fleshes out some characters and motivations. So, I really, really uh, enjoy it. Now, we'll start with the first episode, and I'm getting all the synopses from uh, the Wikipedia page. So, they're a little dry, but I'll go into more detail after, uh, after we finish. The first episode is titled, Witch Bottle. In the country of Wallachia in 1455, a young woman named Lisa wishes to be a doctor, so she seeks out Vlad Dracula Tepish a vampire with advanced scientific knowledge and one kick-butt house. In fact, it's so kick-butt that it's about, oh, I'd say 50, 60 stories tall, and the woman's been approaching it for, I don't know, a couple hours, passing, you know, thousands of 
skeletons impaled on stakes, and she goes, looks up at the door and goes, wow, I have never seen anything like this. I'm like, you have been walking toward this thing on an empty road for two hours, and you're just now like, I have never seen anything like this. Really? Yeah, it kind, of, it kind of looked weird as you were approaching it. I mean, you have towers just, like, flying at odd angles. There's no structure. You just have things hanging out midair. It's a very interesting design. And that's what Castlevania does. It combines steampunk, gothic architecture, science fiction, th pushes it all into a blender, hits frappe, and then, just for a little bit more fun, let's throw in... Uh, Bram Stroker in there as well. So, having the sheer chutzpah to approach the Lord of the Dead, he agrees to teach her, while she in turn offers to help him reconnect with humanity. Well, the two eventually fall in love and marry, and I will say this, the interplay between these two is great. She has a little pocket knife <laughs> going up against Dracula, and, you know, he's intrigued, and he's uh, voiced by Graham McTavish, who's probably best known right now as the Saint of Killers from the Preacher series, and, oh, it, it you get the right sense of menace, but also um, playfulness and, um, war believe it or not, warmth from him, and you can see he actually does... He's intrigued by this woman. He doesn't immediately rip her throat out. So as I mentioned, they fall in love and do marry. Well, we cut to 20 years later in the town of Tagovishta, the capital of Wallachia. And there we find Lisa being burned at the stake because a bishop, played by Matt Frewer, who does his best Emperor Palpatine vo whisper voice, discovered scientific equipment in her home and accused her of witchcraft, as what tended to happen to anyone trying to practice sorcery in the Dark Ages, because there's a reason people call them the Dark Ages. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting how when the Catholic Church ruled the world, all science died. Well, Dracula has been on a walkabout, and he returns home to a cottage on the outskirts of Targovishta where a kindly old woman who uh, Lisa had helped uh, care for and provide for was providing uh, a memorial service to, to Lisa and informs him of what's going on and Dracula in, her, in Lisa's memory tells the kindly old woman to take her family and run because he is no longer going to act like a man. It's time to let the monster out. So in a blaze, using the burning embers of Lisa's uh, pyre, he screams and at the people of Wallachia and tells them, you have one year to make your peace with God, because I am about, because after that, I am going to wipe all living things off of, out of, I'm going to wipe all of you out horribly. The streets are going to run red with your blood. Naturally, the bishop says, ah, forget that. And all the people are scoffing and laughing and saying, oh, poo-poo. And, you know, if I had a giant head, you know, 
of made of fire screaming, I'm going to die in a year, I'd be running. You know, it's a giant flaming head of fire, which turns into a skull from time to time. I'd be running. Well, after Dracula issues his ultimatum, he screams, one year, just one year for me to raise an army from the pits of hell and fulfill this. But he stopped and says, I will not let you do this. I will go after the man responsible. Don't, how many innocents like her will die because of your bloodlust? And later we find out just who this uh, boy is, but uh, since all the fangirls need to swoon, it's Alucard, voiced by James Callis, best known as Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica. And yeah, they drove, they drew him, um, yeah, he has abs. Yeah. <laughs> but the next time we see him, he's shirtless for the whole episode, so fangirls go and some fanboys go ahead and swoon you're allowed to well dracula refuses alucard you know sends and attacks we don't know what happens to alucard well we now proceed to one year later the year 1476 and we find that in wallachia at the main cathedral the archbishop not the bishop who ordered the uh, burning of Lisa, but his boss, because we'll find out what happened to the guy who actually did the deed later, decides to host a celebration in defiance of Dracula. Well, as promised, Dracula kills the archbishop. <laughs> yeah, by um, shattering all the uh, stained glass windows and having the archbishop get impaled by it. Destroys the church, and where the church stood comes Castle Dracula, which can is kind of like the TARDIS. He says it can travel anywhere, any when. So yeah, and it even exists in multiple planes of reality. So yeah, it's a TARDIS, which makes me wonder if Dracula's actually a doctor. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not just the Archbishop who uh, gets the axe, but the entire town has. Throughout the uh, windows and doorways of Castle Dracula come these uh, gargoyles and uh, bat demon things, and they just start murdering everyone. And this is where we get into the R-rated violence, because we see a lot of stuff. We see uh, decapitations, and yeah, this is definitely not a family-friendly uh, show. Um, parent, parental supervision is strongly recommended because we see a lot of kids a lot of kids get killed in this and we even see uh kids slashed in half uh babies carried away dripping blood in some of the demons jaws fortunately we don't see them thank god we don't see them get eaten because i think even netflix censors would say whoa we went too far there but the entire town is slaughtered and then Dracula orders his army to spread across the land, kill all. For the people, the common folk will place the blame on the kingdom's noble families. Let all live in terror 
And then we cut to, in then I'm guessing about, I don't know, six months later or something. It's not really clear. We cut to an inn where a f- couple of farmers are debating the um, unjust punishment of them having to pay for block, for knock, hitting a guy with a shovel and blinding him. Why? Well, that guy was having a... Um, Uh, romantic interlude with a goat. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, did I mention this was written by N. Ellis? So, yeah, it's not Garth, but, uh, yeah, pretty close. Um, and we see our hero for the story, Trevor Belmont. Yes, our hero, ladies and gentlemen, a drunken slob, the last of his line, as the Catholic Church and their infinite wisdom have excommunicated the Belmonts and pretty much ordered their entire murder. So, you know, the one family whose entire reason for being was killing demons and monsters and vampires, yeah, they decided to, you know, eh, we don't need them. So, Trevor being the last surviving son and I'm pretty sure the only Belmont left on Earth, decides to get drunk and, uh, well, remember, well, the two farmers start saying, well, it's all the nobles' fault, all this is happening, them in their rich ways, and, well, Trevor forgot that on his shirt is the Belmont family crest, and a little fight breaks out, and that leads into the second episode. Now, real quick... Matt Frewer is frightening as this bishop. Um, He just takes uh, views of science as witchcraft. Anything that doesn't fit with his narrow mind is evil. And he has the power as this bishop to um, do something about it because he believes he's on a mission from God to wipe out all heresy. Anything that doesn't fit with what he thinks is right needs to be eradicated. Pretty much he's Judge Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney version. For the first time ever, I really felt for, you know, Dracula. Because, like I said, you in just, like, three minutes, the, the whole scene between him and Lisa is, like, three to four minutes. Because these episodes are only, like, you know, they're 22 minutes. So, so, you know, if you're watching, so it's only, a, like, a if it was on TV, it would be a half hour. So, you don't have a lot of time with them, but you really get a sense of their uh, relationship. And you feel um, Dracula's pain when he finds out his wife's been murdered. Um... And when he goes pretty much Super Saiyan, set and all fiery and release the gates of hell, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't blame him. I do the same thing. But then Alucard makes the statement, you know, go after the guy who did this, the man responsible. How many thousands of innocent people, just like your wife, my mother, are going to die because of what you're going to do? And then Dracula doesn't even listen to Alucard, and attacks him. Uh, and wounds him pretty badly, but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. So, that's, that's the big takeaway from this. And then, the whole destruction of Targovishta is just, whew, like I said, the streets run red with blood. The best way I can describe it is, think Attack on Titan, 
Only instead of giant half giant skinless monsters, think bat demons. And um, also, if you play uh, video games World of Warcraft, think when Arthas destroyed Lord Aron. <laughs> you and you'll get a good picture. Oh, that reminds me. I needed to go into a World of Warcraft, just just on Arthas. Yeah, that that that's a podcast of itself. Anyhow, um, and then we find our hero, drunker than a skunk. He's so drunk, he looks to the innkeeper guy and goes, uh, "Here, here's some corn. I, I'm I'm starting to sober up." And yeah. Our hero, ladies and gentlemen, a drunken oaf. Well, right after the fight, we go into episode two, Necropolis. Following the uh, bar fight, Trevor Belmont decides to travel to the one of the few cities left after Dracula's rampage, the city of Graduate, which is now under siege and next on Dracula's hit list. Throughout the town at night, the uh, bat demon things have been uh, slaughtering civilians, eating babies, for um, sneaking into people's rooms and slaughtering their spouse while their other spouse wakes up into absolute horror. Yeah, it's all a good place. It's a good place to be. Well, it as uh, Trevor makes a rather interesting. Uh, way into the city through the uh, sewer system, he finds out through the town that the townspeople are blaming a group of magic users or historians, pretty much the white mages left in the city, known as the Speakers, and they're blaming them for Dracula's assault because, yes, we need a scapegoat because that's what the church tells us they are. And all these priests, yeah, they do better as uh, the rogues and thieves, <laughs> from that you, you know, stab in the back in the middle of an RP D&D campaign. So, the, the speakers are, like I said, the white mages. They're, they're missionaries. They, they're trying to help, you know, tend to the wounded, but they're being used as scapegoats because the bishop of the town, the leader of all the uh, uh, priests and pretty much the since Targovishta fell, the leader of the church, they don't say the Catholic Church. I won't say, I should stop saying the Catholic Church, but it's the 15th century in Europe. We know it's the Catholic Church. And he is now in full control, so he fully believes that by killing the speakers, Dracula will stop attacking them. Now, I'm not talking one or two people. No, speak, there's about 30 to 40 speakers, men and women, you know, just peaceful. Yes, they're white mages who can, well, we'll get into, but for the most part, they're pretty cool people. And they're led by, the, uh, a, they're led by a kind old man voiced by Tony Alamendo, probably best known for me as Braytac from Stargate SG-1. Um, if you heard his voice, you'd go, oh yeah, that guy. Because he's in a lot of stuff. You'd recognize his voice if you heard it. Well, this uh, elderly grandfather, the leader of the speakers, is being led by, well, <laughs> drugged to a dark alley where a pair of 
corrupt priests are about to murder him. And Trevor's like, just keep walking, just keep walking. Ah, crap. And after some little whip action, a, uh, and the priests get, uh, well, certainly qualify for disability afterwards, the elder, uh, they run away, and the elder takes Trevor to their home where they meet the speakers. Trevor insists that they leave the city for their own safety, but the elder refuses as his grandchild has gone missing after venturing into the catacombs below the city in search of a rumored sleeping soldier, a legendary hero who they believe can defeat Dracula. Well, Trevor's like, you know, she's gone, this, this kid's gone, the entire town's going to come, you know, later tonight and kill you all, you need to get out of town. Well, the uh, head priest is having none of it, and finally Trevor says, okay, if I find your grandchild and bring them back, will you agree to get out of town? And the priest says, yes. So, this episode, I learned exactly what a whip can do to a human body. It can lead to amputation and also tear an eyeball out of its socket. Whips are dangerous. Trained professionals should only use them. And I love the elder guy. I mean, he's willing to stand up for his beliefs. And they're, they're pretty peaceful people. And um, I guess they're nomads. They travel around and they have, a, instead of a written history, they're in charge of an oral history, so they pass it down from father to son, etc., etc. And one of the downsides to that is, well, if everyone's dead, your history just went bye-bye. Uh, so as much as I appreciate having an oral history, sometimes putting it on paper is a good thing. Believe in redundancy, people. Now, it's just... There's a, I'm not doing it justice, but I'm trying to keep it brief so I don't completely ruin everything. I will say this. The animation with the whip is good. It's not just like a little wave and it's done. It, the, the, they really, the animators really worked hard to make the whip an almost living thing. It's, if you have ever, the closest I can describe it is... If you've watched Avatar The Last Airbender and you can see like the waterbenders or firebenders um, and the flame and the water just moving all around them, that's the closest I can describe it at, with the whip. It's not like just Indiana Jones who swings it and it strikes something. No, this thing's a living, breathing um, uh, weapon. So, now we go into episode three, Labyrinth. Well, in, these, in the catacombs, which is conveniently under, uh, well, I'm guessing the, the church, but I'm not entirely sure. A lot of, that's the problem with Castlevania, a lot of um, the designs of the Gothic architecture is so similar. Like, well, aren't they here? So it, it's hard to tell exactly where you are, unless you're, you know, in the obvious poor sections. Well, in the catacombs, Trevor realizes that um, they're unusually constructed and contain devices matching old family descriptions 
of devices with Dracula's castle. What kind of devices are we talking about? Tesla lamps. Yeah. There's electricity and running running light bulbs like those the old-fashioned ones. So yeah. We have uh did, did I mention steampunk? <laughs> well, he enters into this big uh courtyard area underground, of course and finds a stone statue in the visage of a speaker. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder who put that there. Well, it doesn't take too long to find out what happened as out comes a giant stone eye cyclops shooting um, laser beams of death. And by laser beams, they're, um, well, uh, Medusa beams, I guess. They, they turn you into stone. And apparently, once you're turned into stone and, you know, you're still aware, so, you know, as you're screaming inside your trapped body, the Cyclops eats off, eats, psychically eats off your fear. Okay. Well, and again, a really cool fight scene. Trevor defeats the creature, uh, which pretty much involved him taking, he first throws his sword into the Cyclops' chest and just goes, Okay, you're dead now, you're dead now, realize you're dead, why aren't you dead? <laughs> and then he goes, ah, oh, crap. Then he, So he grabs his whip, which latches on, and then he throws it, latches it onto the end of the, the hilt of the sword, pulls the sword out, throws it in the air, does a complete Matrix-style kick, and does a kick that would make, you know, Beckham proud, and kicks the sword straight into the Cyclops' eye, which finally kills the thing. Again, it's really cool. And as a result of defeating the creature, it frees all of its victims from the curse, whether you're still living or dead. And as a result, we find that the Elder's grandchild is his granddaughter, Sifa Bernades, a.k.a. the Black Mage. <laughs> so, returning Sifa to her grandfather, Trevor is summoned to the church by the local bishop. And, uh... He orders Trevor to leave Gratia before sundown because he says, Well, I'll give you your life. You have till sundown. Either way, the speakers will die. So I will, if you don't get in my way, I'll spare you and restore your family name. <laughs> because I'm evil, doing evil things. Well, with the speakers refusing to retreat, Trevor tells them, Okay, we're going to do this the hard way. But... He's finally coming out of his shell and becoming the hero he's supposed to be and decides to relocate them to one former uh, underground courtyard with one dead Cyclops, which they keep thinking may actually be moving, but no, it, it, it's dead. And takes on all the corrupt priests who really aren't priests because they're armed with a lot of weapons, you know, normal priests wouldn't have. And uh, starts... Uh, finding them, and leads the mob further into the city. And that leads to our final episode, Monument. Well, as uh, Trevor is running through the city, escaping the mob and drawing them away and killing more corrupt priests with uh, really awesome Matrix-y style moves, we go to the main cathedral where... I'm pretty sure it's Fred Tascascore, and I know I cannot pronounce his last name, but I know him from... 
his voice is Megatron from the War, Transformer War for Cybertron and uh, Fall of Cybertron video games. So I immediately recognize that voice, and it's pretty much a giant panther slash wolf demon thing. And uh, we find out that God has pretty much said, Bishop, you screwed up. And uh, the evil wolf dog panther demon thing decides to give the bishop a nice kiss through the head and then the stomach. <laughs> well, Trevor, meanwhile, is continuing his escape, but he finally gets trapped by the um, mob in the main uh, courtyard of the city, which is above ground, not underground. This is a different courtyard. <laughs> where a ring of fire, he fell into a burning ring of fire, and flames rose high, because it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the magic ring of fire, because Sifa surrounds him with a uh, ring of fire to protect, to keep the uh, crowd away, and Trevor's like, huh, I can use you. Well, he exposes the hypocrisy of the church, and, you know, one of his best lines is, huh, well, that's a thief's knife. You know, I'm kind of surprised that these people would, uh, these people probably haven't seen a priest use a knife like that, you know, against a man before. That's not really priest-like, is it? Oh, no, no, it's not really priest-like. No, no, no. Wait, wait, what? You mean the church is lying to us and... You know, people who have been trying to help and aid us aren't actually the reason for the giant demons eating us? Oh, okay. Well, as more and more demons start pouring into the city, uh, Trevor kind of forces them into a militia, and with his uh, instruction, his uh, magic whip, which, you know, is consecrated by priests to tear demons apart by... Well, having them explode in classic... You remember in the Nintendo games when you hit them and they, uh, like, burst into flames and disappeared? Yeah, pretty much like that. Um, and we get some more ice wall, some more ice spells and fire spells. And then the evil dog, panther, demon, wolf thing is killed. So... The good guys apparently win. Unfortunately, the floor crumbles beneath them, and they fall into the catacombs of the city. Again, was this whole city built on top of another city? Because, okay, I'm going to go into this real quick. These people fall a lot onto very hard surfaces from very high heights. If it wasn't for plot armor, they'd all be dead. And then we get some cool... Um, uh, giant mechanical clockwork stuff and gears and falling more falling through catacombs and whatever until finally they make their way into a chamber with a giant stone coffin in it. Now Sifa has no idea what's in it. Trevor immediately knows because Trevor isn't an idiot. <laughs> because as they approach the uh, coffin, Trevor trips a well, a foot switch, and the coffin 
begins to open because they find their missing sleeping soldier who is Alucard, the son of Dracula. He has apparently been spending a year healing from his fight with good old dad and has a giant scar across his bare chest. Fangirls, you may swoon now. And... I'm so going to get into trouble with that one. And anyhow, Trevor and Alucard do a little bit of uh, whip measuring. And they f go into the big climactic fight of the show. It's a really cool fight. I can't describe it in words. Please check it out. And finally realizing, hey, I can use these people because apparently this whole sleeping soldier bit, which this story has been passed down for hundreds of years through speakers, has apparently been knowledge from the future. So this is a whole self-fulfilling prophecy. I, like I said, it's a TARDIS. It doesn't make sense. Just go with it. <laughs> because my brain melted at that point. Because Alucard says, yeah, this came from the future. And then he goes, well, you know how that prophecy ends, right? And <laughs> Silpha immediately blushes. So, yeah, she's hooking up with one of them. <laughs> so Alucard relents. And again, awesome James Candless work, but um, I, I can't describe it accurately in a podcast. But you know, it starts with whip and it goes from a whip sword, a whip versus sword fight, to sword versus sword to well, a, <laughs> Trevor on his last leg decides to knee uh, Alucard in the. Uh, uh, you know where. <laughs> Trying to say this in family friendly is not easy. And Alucard just has this straight line. Please, this isn't a bar fight. Have some class. <laughs> I loved it. It's, they have great banter while they're trying to kill each other. Although I think Alucard's just playing with them. Trying to, you know, test them. And the three of them head towards the camera. And that's the end of the show. Yeah. This is where I get into some issues with it. First off, the whole thing's building up to this getting the band together, and then right when they do, yeah, we cut. That's it. You're done. So if this had been, if this hadn't succeeded, this could have really, really ticked off a lot of people. Like, wait, that that's it? So there's obvious sequel bait forming, because, again, with the exception of the first episode, we don't see Dracula again. Um... That's the first episode is the only time we see Dracula and that's it. So it's good for what we got, but again, it's it's like you you I would just expect at least okay, my plan, evil plan is coming together, you know, soon all I'm not going to stop at Wallachia. It'll all be the world and you know, it's just I'm hoping we get more. Now, apparently there is another major character. Now, this storyline is based off the Castlevania 3 game Dracula's Curse and there is a fourth character called Grant who I guess is like a thief bandit character and just for sake of plot and time convenience they completely excised him from the story so that said maybe in the second season which is episodes 5 through 12 aka parts 2 and 3 of the uh, you know 
first season is how I view it. Um, he may show up. If not, that's okay. I'd rather have a small cast of three characters that we really get to know versus a bunch of characters that we hardly get lip service to or they get pushed into the background. Um, overall, the voice cast has been great. Graham McTavish, like I said, as Dracula, is just amazing to watch and listen to. Uh, Richard Armitage, who I tried to find a lot of... He's got a pretty hefty um, uh, uh, resume, but probably the best thing you know geeks would know him from was he is Thorne Oakenshield from the Hobbit films. I have not watched the Hobbit films, so I don't know anything about Thorne Oakenshield, but that's the most... Um, I, if he's the guy who was hitting on with the long hair, hitting on the elf woman, go for it, dude. Um, and then uh, he plays Trevor, and he does a good range of drunk oaf to finally he to reluctant uh, mercenary to I'm going to to um, righteous hero. It's good. James Can uh, Callis. We get like three lines from him in the first episode, and the, really the only majority, and then pretty much the second half of the final episode. So he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but what he does, he does well. And then we get uh, the voice of Sifa. She's, for some reason, I just did not like her. I thought her voice didn't really fit the character, maybe a little too young. Uh, her voice actress was Alejandra Reynoso, who's... To be honest, according to her IMD page, the biggest thing I can find on her was she was the voice of Flora from the Winx Club. Yeah, that's the that's the best I can find on her. Was her, her her IMD page starts with Castlevania and then goes straight into Winx Club. So I will say this for a uh, woman in her early twenties. Yeah, she's quite attractive, but. Um, not, I just didn't think she, f I mean, I know Sifa's kind of supposed to be young, but I don't know. It, it, it Maybe just a slightly older, because she seemed more like 16 than someone who I'm hoping is at least legal. Um, overall, I can't complain about the show. I've, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, that said, it is definitely something um, parents need to be cautious of when it comes to letting their kids see this, simply because of the amount of violence and gore in it. But I have to say I am very happy that it broke the video game curse. It was so popular um, about like two days, like the day of its release it was announced it was going to get the next eight episodes. So... Netflix is happy. It's pouring money. It finally, finally broke the video game curse. And I hope that, since this has proved to be uh, a success, that more video game translations on, like, streaming services will apply. I mean, I would love just, like, a Metroid, where you could do, like, a Metroid slash Aliens thing, where, you know, it's just Samus alone on, like, a space station... And she's attacked by Metroids and aliens. And you could do a whole alien theme with it, with the Metroids working like that. <laughs> and for those of you going, hey, wait a minute. There was one other thing, you know, the Belmonts were, Castlevania was involved in. I am not mentioning Cas 
Captain N. Okay, that Simon Belmont was a fop and was really toned down for the kids' shows. As a kid, I loved him. As an adult, I can't stand him. Especially considering it flies in the face of what Castlemania is supposed to be. Um, I think what really gets me the most of the whole show is just this relationship between Dracula and Lisa. Again, not a lot of screen time, but it left the biggest impression on me. I'd have to, if I was going to rate this like say um, out of five, I'd give it a solid three and a half, simply because of where it cuts and where it ends. If they had just thrown another um, episode of them doing something, because right now the the city is still technically under attack. So if they had just had one more episode where it's the three of them fighting off Dracula's goons, and then it ended with Dracula going, okay then, it's time to take the gloves off, that would have been a little bit better ending. It's just, it's, it, it just stops, and that, that's what bummed me out. And again, it's only, it's four episodes at 22 minutes a pop, so it's not even an hour and a half long. So... It's original direct-to-video trapping still show. And, but, again, it dealing with, like, how faith can, you know, people look to leaders, and whether it's a religious leader or a political leader, they put trust in them. And depending on the person in charge, things can go right, or you can be lunch for a wolf, panther, demon. Now, the animation is beautiful. Um, like I said, the whip is a thing of beauty. The fight scenes are, for the most part, pretty good. Um, when it's just like Trevor fighting like the priests and stuff, you know, just hand to hand, it, to be honest, Indiana Jones does it better. Um, Sifa with her magic is pretty cool, but nothing we haven't seen outside of, say, like Full Metal Alchemist. In fact, Avatar does it a lot better, simply because of the uh, Sifo. All we see her do is make a bunch of like giant ice walls and fireballs, not, nothing too spectacular. Um, if you really want to see cool magic done with elements, check out Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I recommend that over the original Alchemist series, simply because um, Brotherhood was done after the entire manga and story was completed. So it's you know the entire story from start to finish as the author intended. Um, the original Full Metal Alchemist only um, came, got to like about halfway through, came out when like only half of the original, you know, manga story was written. So it didn't end, you know, correctly from what I'm hearing. I've never seen the first series, but I saw where one episode of the first series was, was like episode... 30 out of 52, whereas in the in the Brotherhood series, it was like episode 12. A big difference, you know, whole season. And anyhow, that, that's a whole other topic. So, Crypt Keeper, thanks for stopping by. Um, boy, do I hope Mike Bailey and Scott Garner forgive me for this. Um, Boy, how am I going to get them out of that? Oh, well, uh, 
If there's one thing I've known, it's never mess with the wife of a podcaster. So I'm I'm sure, um, I'm sure, uh, Crypt Keeper doesn't know exactly what he's getting into. So I'm sure they'll be okay. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, that's it for me. Thanks for joining me, my friends. Next episode, I'm going to talk about some more of my favorite stuff because. To be honest, it's been a little hard doing these theme episodes. Um, a lot of work goes into them. So I've got a couple theme episodes just because of stuff It's I really want to talk about. Some movies I love. Um, in fact, one movie, one episode is completely devoted to a movie simply because I was humming one of its main songs. I'm like, I should talk about this movie because I, I have some comments I want to make. And questions. And, and raise a few questions. Thank you all my friends for joining me. I'll appreciate it. Tangents is back. And have and if you uh if you do celebrate Halloween and are trick or treating, please be safe. Please um parents check your kids candy. I hate saying that, but you know, it's the world we live in sadly cuz though if anyone I knew willingly spiked my kids candy, I'd beat them to a bloody pulp. And I don't think a, there'd be a court of law that it, that would find me guilty. I didn't kill the guy. I just beat him to a bloody pulp. Because as the great Iago from Aladdin said, you'd be surprised what you can live through. I'll see you later, my friends. Take care. Tangents Abound is a free audio podcast. No money is made in the production or distribution of this show. All audio clips used in the show are for education and review purposes only and are owned by their respective copyright holders and no infringement of any kind is intended. The opinions of myself and any guests who I manage to kidnap, uh, or I mean invite, <laughs> to the show are solely our own opinions and probably should be taken with a huge grain of salt. Unless you're allergic to salt, in which case then you have my pity. If you would like to support the show and all the in other incredible podcasts in the Two True Freaks Network, just visit twotruefreaks.com with the number two, always spelled T-W-O, and click the Amazon link on the site. Any purchase you make on Amazon through the link will drop a couple bits into our tip jar to help keep the lights on, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. There's also a PayPal link on the website if you wish to sponsor the show or any show on the network directly. So if you want to hear Tangents Abound presented by you, you can. You can find the show on Facebook by searching for the Two True Freaks podcast group, and you can leave me a comment, feedback, or angry rant, and I'll make sure to read it on the show unless otherwise notified. You can also find me on tangentsabound at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter as at A-H-E-N-L-E-Y 2011, or ahenley2011. You can also check out the Two True Freaks Cantina group where a bunch of geeks, nerds, and fanatics hang out talking about everything in pop geek culture. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and friends, in case I don't see you, have a great morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.